3: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and a fine music morning, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. Wow, what a a crazy deal that was last night in the Bills and Bengals game. And we just hope and pray that this young man is going to fully recover. Damar Hamlin, surely everyone tuned in is familiar with what happened, but if you didn't see it, he's a safety for the Bills and was involved in what appeared to be a routine tackle, and uh, after he brought the the runner for the Bengals to the ground, and he kind of landed on top of him popped up took a step or so and just immediately collapsed back to the field surface and you could tell the way the medical personnel were running around feverishly that it was different than just a you know a contact type injury and in that it was a sense of urgency and you immediately saw players embracing and sobbing when they were administering medical personnel were administering CPR which is really unusual to hamlin on the field and then an ambulance comes out and picks him off uh, picks him up and transports him to university of cincinnati medical center i believe so what's the latest? Is that they said it's cardiac arrest that he's been stabilized, but his yeah, vitals his are heart back to stopped
2: normal? for approximately nine to twelve seconds, and uh, they performed CPR on the field for nine to ten minutes, An AED, which is the automatic defibrillator, was administered to get his heart started again, and he was transported to the hospital to a trauma one or level one trauma center where it was updated last night that he had been placed into an induced coma while his vitals normalized, and he is intubated, which Mm -hmm. means the machine is breathing for him. But, according to the latest reports, he has
3: gone from critical condition to stable condition. Right. Bills issued... I believe the first official communication from the Bills organization came after midnight last night. And they basically, at that point, reported that he suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit. His heartbeat was restored, reading from the official Twitter account of the Buffalo Bills his heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition, but that's since been updated.
2: From what I understand,
3: yeah, I, I mean, it's never a good thing well. to be
2: intubated and have machine breathing for you, but yeah. his vitals have normalized, which is pretty much a good thing.
3: Yeah, so we just uh, we hope and pray. Uh, that he makes a full and complete recovery. Of course, this was in the, really the, not too much into the game in the first quarter, about so midway yeah, through quarter. the first quarter. And I was tuned in, ESPN watching it, and it, it was surreal. I mean, it's just not something you expect to see. And, of course, the three journalists in ESPN studios were discussing it, including Booger McFarlane. He was clearly uh, overwhelmed with emotion, and you can imagine. You know, to some extent, you got to believe those players know that this could be me, right? Well,
2: not just that. You, Especially in that field, you go to work expecting to talk about X's and O's yeah. and routes and dropbacks and fumbles and forward passes and a game. Mm-hmm. You go to work expecting to talk about a game. And in the blink of an eye that job transforms into reporting on a life-or-death situation, which is a completely different set of skills, a completely different mindset,
3: and a completely different way to go about your business. It really does expose, does it not, that these truly are just games. They're, They're entertainment. And it was, I think, Heartwarming to see the outpouring from across the nation, and in particular within the NFL community. It, it is a brotherhood. It's a very small fraternity, let's be honest, of players that get to put that uniform on and play at that level. Extremely small. These are athletic freaks at the end of the day. And sure. they... Um, they entertain. It's what they do. But life is not going to be changed by the outcome of the score of the game. And I think that really came into focus last night. And it was heartwarming to see images of Bengals fans outside of the hospital dressed in their Bengals regalia, probably straight from the stadium. They're Holding a candlelight vigil. Now, that was really I think shows and showcases the best of humanity and the best of Americans. Really does. You know, it's we we root for our team, we boo the opponent. That's just part of it. We we do tend to live a bit vicariously through our, our sports heroes and teams. And if not, fine. fantasy
2: football wouldn't be as big as it is.
3: I totally agree. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was clear that that was set aside for this. It appeared At to least me that by was. the
2: fans and the team. The NFL left a sour taste in a lot of mouths last night when they were doing everything in their power to get the game started again because it has playoff ramifications and it was only in the first quarter, so all those ad dollars going down the drain and the NFL was Doing everything they could. All right, well, we'll give you five minutes to warm up, and then we're getting this back
3: on. Now, they're saying that's not true. They're, well, of course, course they're people going to are say saying that. that. But it took and a meeting of the minds it, of the it, two it, coaches in the locker room going, we're not doing this. And, and it was pretty clear, right, after five, ten minutes, they ain't playing another down football. And it would be silly for them to do so. And then I've seen others who have said, Hey, what's the big whoop here? This is just an injury. We well, This happens all the time. And we continue to play, but not CPR. That uh, just seems to rise to a different level. I
2: mean, there is a recent precedent in the world of soccer in the Euros back in 2020. I believe it was a Danish player, Christian Eriksen, collapsed on the field, cardiac arrest, was had CPR performed on him. But... The difference being, he left the field awake, coherent, talking, and his fellow players knew he was all right. They still didn't want to continue the match. Right. But FIFA stepped in and said, yeah. you're, you're going to finish this match.
3: So already we have three folks on the ceasefire tax line that have attributed this to being vaccinated. So I just got to tell something right now, guys. I lost my brother at age 27, in 1976. There were no vaccines then. He was a black belt in karate, served in Vietnam. He drove himself to the hospital, didn't make it 30 minutes. 27. Quit playing doctor. Good grief. It's almost like people... They want that to be the case. They celebrate it. They revel in it. That's ridiculous. Mm. I just had to get that off my chest. I apologize. No, nothing to apologize for. It's pointing
2: out the fact that some people cannot use logic. They love connecting dots. I guess they picked it up when they were kids. But you ever wonder why the picture you make when you connect the dots is never quite the same as the example? It's because you don't have all the dots.
0: Man.
3: And that's not to say it's medicine. It just is. If you don't want the medicine, don't take it. That's fine. But good grief to chalk up and attribute every single death to this because it suits your ideological perspective is ridiculous. It just is.
2: It's no better than using the dead bodies of children at a school shooting after before they've even gotten a chance to get cold to push anti gun nonsense. I agree. You're you're coming from a point of political narcissism to try to drive an agenda when you should just be stopping and saying a prayer for somebody. I
3: totally agree can we just, man, just think about the issue at hand and not get into all this? We're going to come right back with Speaker of the House Philip Gunn. Stay with us.
0: Just where our lives
2: are
0: going to Middays with Gerard What? This is
3: I see what you did there, Rhino. (laughs) The boys are back in town, and they are gathering up at the Mississippi State Capitol, and that's why we have Speaker of the House Philip Gunn in the Element Wealth Studios. Seems like we were just talking about 2022. Yeah, that's right, (laughs) right.
1: Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Yes, sir. Good morning. First thing I need to do is to personally deliver your Christmas card to you. Oh. Yeah, apparently I got the wrong address, it came back to my house. (laughs) Okay. And so I want to come and in person deliver that card to you. Well, thank you. I know your Christmas wasn't complete without getting my <laughs> Christmas card. So there's a great picture of my family in there, and I hope you'll post that on your refrigerator. Sure will. I appreciate that. Spend yes. a little time with your son over the holidays, That's in what fact. I understand. Went hunting, he hunting. uh He came, and, you know, your son and my son are friends. He yep. came and hunted with us, and my son killed a deer, and uh, then your son stood there and watched me clean it. So I'm not sure how much help your son was
3: i taught him well
1: (laughs) he said i i got to go i got to go so So, uh i cleaned the deer i got you well good so good holiday for you and the family yes sir always a thrill i love the holidays it's my favorite time of the year yeah yeah me too i totally agree but uh we are back
3: and uh, set to begin a brand new session. You guys will be gaveling in today at noon. Twelve noon, correct? high noon. Yes, sir. High noon. Everybody will be seated. And is that the same on the Senate side? Yes, yeah, sir. It's the yes, same sir. time. According
1: to the Constitution, you convene the the first Tuesday after the first Monday okay. is the way it reads. That always is the first Tuesday. Except when the first falls on a on a Tuesday, when, I got. You. When January one falls on a Tuesday, then the first Tuesday after the first Monday is January eight. That's interesting. Yeah. Wonder what the significance of the Monday following a Monday is. I, I don't know, but travel the, maybe
3: the, for I, the I out, don't of, know. out of town folks.
1: But okay. they uh, they set it up whenever whoever set that up set it up that way. So okay. the first Tuesday after the first Monday. Gotcha. All
3: right. So you guys are going to be back at it again, and it is an election year, of course. We yes, will be going to the polls in November to elect our state senators and representatives and our statewide offices as well. So, like we were
1: just doing this deal. It comes around regularly, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> and uh, in Mississippi, we're fortunate, I think, from a legislative standpoint, to have four-year terms. In some states, it's two. And they're running every other year. Yeah, And it's uh, many, many state legislators every two years, just like our Congress. Okay.
3: Well, so last year, as as you and I have discussed, I thought was a very active legislative year. Much was accomplished, certainly. And we can recap that briefly. The teacher pay raise, the medical marijuana bill, uh, tax reform, big-time tax reform, all got through. Those were, uh, I think, high-profile issues. Left is what I have described as unfinished, is the citizen initiative, a citizen ballot initiative. We didn't get that done across the finish line, couldn't get the Senate and the House together on that. So with that as a backdrop, wh- where do we stand? What do you see as the priorities for this session? And, and before I start that, we're in pretty dang good shape financially. So thanks to you and leadership uh, at the state level uh, for, I think, applying good conservative fiscal principles and
1: policies which have put us
3: in this very good and positive financial
1: condition. Yeah, and I, I agree with that and uh, would, would like for people to understand that we're probably in the best financial shape we've been in in decades. I think that was one of the reasons we were able to weather the COVID pandemic of 2020 so well, because prior to that, we had uh, basically funded the entire budget. We had filled the rainy day fund. We had money in the bank. We had fixed the retirement system. We'd done all these financial needs and uh, still had money in the bank. And so when the COVID hit, we were able to weather that financial crisis because we were in such great financial shape. That has continued to today and uh, I do think looking forward to this coming session that is going to be one of the top topics of of conversation is what do we do with the surplus? We have a great surplus and the uh, budget hearings we had last uh, December indicated that we're going to have about a billion dollars of recurring revenue moving forward. Hmm. So right now we have about four billion dollars in Surplus money, Hmm. give perspective, our budget's about six, well, I think we we adjusted it to be about six and a half uh, billion for this coming year. So that gives you some perspective is that we've got a substantial amount of surplus money. Not all of that's recurring now. About a billion of it is recurring. Well, explain what you mean by that, Mr. Speaker. Recurring well, it's just one-time one money. Time. Okay. It, it, it's just money that we're only going to get one time, yeah. and we're going to spend it on, hopefully. One of the reasons we're in such great financial shape is that we, conservatives, have made a practice of spending uh, or not spending one-time money on recurring expenses. Uh, you, you spend your savings account to pay your light bill, your water bill, your house note, you're eventually going to run out of money. You're supposed to spend your your paycheck to cover. That's, your paycheck is a recurring source of revenue. Right. And you use that to pay your recurring bills. And that's the policy, the, the, the practice that we have brought to bear over the last 12 years since Republicans have been in control of both chambers of the House. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we've stayed within our means. We've not spent more money than, than we've got. And that's brought to bear a responsible budgeting and responsible financial situation, which we find ourselves in. And so a billion dollars of that is going to be recurring. That means we're collecting uh, a lot of revenue from our citizens. This is one of the things you and I talked about last year when we talked about the tax cuts. Mm-hmm. We found ourselves in a situation where we were collecting more money from the taxpayers than we were spending. Now... What's going to happen to that? If the government gets it, they're going to spend it. They're just not going to sit around and accumulate. Mm -hmm. And it's too tempting for legislators to just let it sit there. And so that's one of the (laughs) things that that I advocated for, is that we had spent money on everything we could spend money on, the budget, the rainy day fund, the retirement system, the teacher pay raise. uh, We had money in the bank, and we we had about $800 million more than we were even spending. And I advocated it's time to give some of that back to the taxpayers. It is time to return. We're collecting more revenue from our citizens than we're even spending. Let's return some of that to the taxpayers. They're better able to provide for themselves, provide for their families, improve their quality of life. And that's what led to us passing the tax bill that we did last year, the largest tax cut in the history of the state of Mississippi. And I think our citizens are going to begin to feel the effects of that as that rolls out and comes into effect, they'll have more money in their pockets and that's that's just a good financial decision to be made.
3: first phase of that goes into effect this year, correct? yes, sir, it it does. which is elimination of the four <clears> percent
1: <throat> bracket that is correct mm-hmm. or or re- the reduction to a four percent flat tax that's where we're okay. eventually going to get to yep. is a flat four percent Versus a progressive tax. Phased in. Phased in, right. Mm-hmm. Now, because of this surplus that we have, I think that's going to be the big topic of conversation uh over this next session is how is that to be spent, what are the things that we should spend it on, and does that in some way affect our our tax plan? I, I think at the very minimum, we ought to maybe uh, escalate that plan into one year or two years. As you know, last year we passed a plan that was phased in over a four-year period of time. Right. Well, with this billion dollars of excess, I think we have the ability to move that, bring it forward, and get it fully implemented sooner rather than later. And I think that's something we ought to be looking at.
3: So the lieutenant governor has indicated uh, support for uh, a one-time rebate in lieu of a permanent reduction further of income taxes or elimination, which was the original goal.
1: Have you guys talked about that? And, and what is the
3: governor? What is his position?
1: I don't know what the governor's position is on that. I will tell you there's not been a whole lot of support in the House in my conversations for such a plan. Okay. Um, if, if we're – it's almost gimmicky, in a, a one-year, uh, you know, rebate, one-year payment uh, in an election year it just doesn't – I think it's, it's seen for what it is what – I would say is that if we have the ability the ability to do that, then let's just make it a more permanent tax relief. Let's just make it an ongoing tax relief let's uh, If we don't need that two hundred and fifty million dollars this year, then it raises the question of whether we need it next year and the next and the next. So yeah, let's just make it a permanent. let's and just that, make it a permanent tax
3: reduction. And that goes back to the recurring versus one time revenue. Right. It's a function of that. Recurring right. really just referring to our standard sources of revenue. If uh, we
1: don't if we don't need that two hundred and fifty million dollars, then maybe we can drop the tax rate from four percent to three seven five. Yeah. Or three and a half. Yeah. All
3: right. We got speaker of the house Philip Gunn in the Element Well Studios. We're stepping aside for a break and coming right back with more about the twenty twenty three legislative session.
0: With
3: you in the Element Well Studios, Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, our guest, the legislature, getting underway in the 2023 session at noon today in accordance with uh, state law. I guess that's provided for in the Constitution, or is that statute?
1: Uh, I think it's in the Constitution. Makes sense. And uh, the, the Constitution also dictates that the Senate convenes at 10 o'clock every day and the House convenes at 2. Oh. Every day. Okay. But uh, that that is not hard and fast uh, rule. Yeah, we, you don't guys don't follow that. It just depends on what stage of the session sure. you're in. You know, the beginning stage, first 15 days of the session are reserved unto members to work on their own bills. So for the next couple of weeks, members will be working on their individual bills. So okay. Then there's a deadline to drop a bill, and then you have the committee process, and that takes place over about 10 days. And then at the end of that, we have floor action. And when we get the floor action, which will be mid early to mid-February, uh, we'll start coming in at 9. Both chambers will come in at 9 o'clock in the morning, and we'll work all day till you know, sure. 4 or 5 sure. to clear the calendar. So we have the flexibility to convene when we find it uh, most convenient. But the law says 10 o'clock for the Senate, 2 o'clock for the House.
3: Okay. So uh, I I gather, Mr. Speaker, from our discussion in the prior segment that uh, tax reform is is still a high priority for you and uh, I believe for many members in the House.
1: Yes, sir. And I, I think we've been very clear. With our message over the last two years about that, and I will tell you that we have received national uh, recognition, national attention yeah. for our work on uh, re- reforming our tax structure. Many outfit, I had no idea how many people were watching what we were doing in Mississippi until this summer when i was able to attend a number of conventions and i heard from legislators across the i was asked to speak on a number of panels hmm. in fact hmm. uh when they found out i was there it was like come tell us what you all did in mississippi on yeah. on the tax cuts moving to a flat tax has become incredibly popular the five states did something last year iowa mississippi arizona two others i can't recall right now yeah and um It just makes us uh, more attractive on a number of levels. It it, it helps our citizens more. When you reduce their income tax, you let them keep more in their pocket. It makes you, it it lets the citizens provide for themselves better. It makes you more attractive to young people. And we've talked about the census and how we've lost population, when you tell a young couple starting out on their career that you can keep more of your hard-earned money in your pocket, it gives them a reason to move to Mississippi. It makes us more attractive to businesses who are looking to place a company somewhere. When their employees can keep more in their pocket... It results in economic prosperity within the community. People have more disposable income. Businesses thrive. They sell more of their goods and services. I mean, you and I have talked many times about the benefits of this, and so I think it's something we have to continue to look at. I think it's something that, with uh, given the surplus that we were talking about earlier, you have an opportunity here to do more in that arena. We may not get to a full elimination, but we could certainly either accelerate our plan into one year, and, and get there quicker, or we could further reduce the tax rate to something less than four percent. Yeah, those are all things that we need to be talking about. Things we need to be looking at. Yeah,
3: uh, good. So I, I I gather then that will be a topic of discussion again. Do you, you ex- expect to see any any bills filed?
1: Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. We okay. will. We will have uh, bills that will address some of these issues. I will have conversations uh, with our colleagues on the other end of the building just see how far we can get with that.
3: Okay. Sounds good. What What else is on your agenda,
1: uh, Mr. Speaker, for twenty well, <clears> three? <throat> one of the things that we've uh, looked about is the the post Roe versus Wade world, as we all know, the uh, Supreme Court overturned that case last June. We in the House have set out to look at a number of things that need to be addressed in that arena. We now have, presumably, um, more babies will be born since abortion is no longer the case here in Mississippi. As a side note, I would like to uh, commend my House members who let out on that bill. That bill was passed in 2018, House Bill 1510. Little did we know that was going to end up being the very bill that uh, would be used to overturn Roe versus Wade. Hmm. So I'm proud of the, the the Mississippi House of Representatives, proud of the Republicans in the House who let out in passing that bill. But we have looked at a number of things to uh, address the, the, the issues that may arise. We are going to come forward with the bill on adoption. makes it cheaper, more streamlined, more effective. I'm told that for every one baby that is born, there are 36 couples waiting to adopt. Wow. So... Uh, That came from a a guy that uh, we consulted with that runs an adoption agency. That means there's plenty of loving families out there waiting to adopt children that uh, are born. So we're going to look at uh, ways that we can make that cheaper and more streamlined. We're looking at our foster care system and ways to make that more efficient and effective. We're going to look at putting a more... Uh, are increasing the amount of the tax credit that we gave last year to the crisis pregnancy centers. And this is something that's really, really a big deal and I hope uh, businesses out there that are listening will take advantage of this. This was a a $3.5 million tax credit that we passed last year to allow a business who has a tax liability to the state and rather than giving that tax money to the state of Mississippi they can give it to a crisis pregnancy center to help them fund their operations Um, we have contacted there's 37 crisis pregnancy centers around mississippi that exist for the purpose of helping mothers who find themselves with an unplanned pregnancy navigate that that situation right they give them counseling they give them financial support Mm -hmm. they're there for them Uh, i contacted them and asked what their total annual operating budget is and uh, the number i got was 10 million dollars So for $10 million, all crisis pregnancy centers around the state could be theoretically funded. So if we raise that tax credit from 3.5 to 10, then theoretically there is a path that the private sector could step up and meet this need without us having to grow government or spend more um, uh, taxpayer money to create new programs. So that's another thing. Those are just a sampling of some of the things we've looked at that we're going to maybe look uh, looking to do in the post row world that we find ourselves
3: in. those are good programs uh i'm involved with uh canopy children's solutions Correct. on the board there and right. uh, they of course take advantage of that
1: and it's a no-brainer i honestly it's from a no-brainer. donor perspective <laughs> I tell people this all the time, I use this illustration, you need to embrace the reality you're going to pay this money. This is not a charitable donation. This is not a donation over and above uh, what you're already giving. You owe the money. Right. You just get to pick whether you're going to give it to the state of Mississippi or give it to a crisis pregnancy center. But the money's coming out of your pocket. That's right. You need to realize that. Yeah, might have twin boys that were... Uh, little, you know. And yep. they we had a problem with them cleaning their room. And so I told them, I said, you need to embrace the reality. You're going to clean your room. You either get punished and clean your room, or you can just clean your room. But you're going to clean your room. Uh, the same thing here. You're going to pay this money, business. You're going to owe the money. You can either give it to the state or you can give it to a crisis. Oh, that's a so good analogy. I hope they're listening
3: along with my son right now. Yes, they that. need to. Well, they're 31 now, <laughs> exactly. and it's not my problem anymore. Their, right, wives, right. their wives can fool with that. I agree. Okay, well, th- those are all, I think, promising. All right, what about the uh, citizen ballot initiative? Are we going to try that again?
1: Well, you know, we tra- We did last year. The House passed a, a plan that pretty much mirrored what the, ex- the previous plan was. Yeah. Um, as you know, the Supreme Court struck down that that mechanism because it had five congressional districts in the in the bill which are in, in the constitution which we no longer have and um the, the, the plan that we passed last year basically said any initiative that is passed by the citizens will go into the statute, not the Constitution, Right, which is a better place for it. It's yep. it's, it's, it's the citizens passing a law rather than the legislature passing a law, but still it's a law that needs to have the flexibility of the statute. And we changed the, the wording to, rather than say in five congressional districts to simply say however how many districts we got. If yeah. it's four, if it's At three, whatever. So that was pretty much our bill uh there is a threshold in the law that i think it's 12 percent of those who voted in the last governor's race i think is what it said maybe it's presidential race um we retained that the senate wanted a higher threshold and that's kind of where the negotiations or discussions uh fell apart so I anticipate those we will pick at, pick up from where we left off that there will be some agreement reached, that there will be a threshold decided upon. I don't know where that's going to be, somewhere between those, the two points that we left off last time.
3: It's something that I get a lot of feedback on, uh, certainly is. here. Uh, right. And in my role, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people feel like should have gotten done and didn't, right. and now they're left with no opportunity. To uh, put something on the a measure right. on the ballot that they can well, vote we on. have
1: we have said for some time now that we felt like that was an important right of the citizens to have that opportunity and um, as I said the house the house passed the plan last year the negotiations yeah. fell apart but. Um, We'll, we'll probably renew those discussions this year.
3: Good to see you, and I'm sure we'll be talking more, and good luck on a productive uh, session. Coming Thank up. you so much. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Coming right back with more in the Element Well Studios.
0: Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: In the Element Well Studios, we thank you so much for joining us, and appreciate the Speaker of the House coming by and giving us a preview of the legislative session. I think it's pretty clear that he still sees major tax reforms, specifically the full elimination of the income tax, is a high priority, and is going to work uh, towards that again. That should be an interesting debate that I think is going to happen in the 2023 session. And we look forward to that debate. Ought to be fun. Give us plenty to talk about <laughs> at a minimum, right? So, in the meantime, there are, oh gosh, lots of tax breaks, speaking of taxes, Rhino, which take effect right now, 2023, 2023 from the Inflation Reduction Act, the most fraudulently named legislation in the history of these United States. And this is the thing that I always uh, struggle with, and, and honestly, I, I get a little perturbed about, which is when they put these kinds of ideological, which is re- really is ideological tax provisions in place. Such as all of these green credits, which I'm about to run down. Who measures that? We don't ever seem to get any feedback. How much was actually of credits were actually taken by taxpayers and what impact did that have measurably on the climate, on the environment? And I I just can't imagine that there's going to be a mad rush of Americans to go make these investments simply because the federal government is going to pay a small portion of it. So, and there are two types of credits, those which are claimed when you file your tax return, those which you get at the point of purchase with respect to these various green energy credits, the electrical panel or the breaker box, you know about that. Every house has one of those, every electric address, if you will. 30% of the panel upgrade up, uh, pardon me, capped at $600, which resets every year. You can claim it every year if you keep doing it. You know the irony of
2: most of these rebates and tax cuts and tax breaks and all that. What's that? The largesse of these that I predict will be taken will be taken by enemies of the left. Landlords.
3: That's a good point.
2: Yeah, you're you're right about that. Cuz the left hates landlords. That's true, they do. They think owning something and renting it out and providing that service is the most evil thing you can do with property. You're absolutely right about that. But they're also the people that are more likely to upgrade because they can get a return
3: on that upgrade much quicker by raising the rent. That's exactly right. They'll just pass it on. Oh, Correct. Yeah. And And they'll sell it. Hey, look, lower electric costs, lower energy costs because we've got solar panel and all electric appliances and water heaters and insulation and caulking. So, thirty percent of the cost of installing rooftop solar. The average six kilowatt rooftop solar installation costs about nineteen thousand bucks. So the government will pay forty seven hundred dollars of that, and uh, you got the other fourteen three. Uh, what a deal that is! Heat pumps. Same deal, 30% of the cost of heat pumps for air and water, capped at $2,000, resets annually so it can be used for new projects. Weatherization and insulation, same deal, 30% for upgrades of insulation doors and windows. A residential battery system, that's where you can store power and uh, use that to power appliances and other electric items, say during a storm outage. Tax credit for that is uncapped, again thirty percent, average cost sixteen grand. You get forty eight hundred bucks. I mean who's rushing down the store to make these purchases? And of course electric vehicles if you earn under one hundred and fifty thousand if you're a joint filer. You can get uh, EV credits for vehicles that are under 55,000 and vans and SUVs under 80. you get 7,500 bucks. If buying a used EV, the credit is four, thousand dollars. And of course, there's all kinds of requirements as to where the battery materials are sourced, et cetera. And the IRS is still trying to promulgate those regulations. But there you go rush on down to the store and help yourself to all these items and get those credits. But you're out of pocket significantly. Coming right back with Brian Haydad, the co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi. Stay with us.
0: Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well studios. Second day of a brand new week of a brand new year, and we've got Brian Haydad, the co host of Sports Talk Mississippi, joining us now. Brian, you had to like what you saw yesterday.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good start to the uh, the Zach Arnett era at, at Mississippi State. So, uh, obviously, offensively, some issues yesterday, but that's kind of to be expected when you you know your play caller is gone, you're missing a, uh, your top running back, you're missing your top receiver. Uh, so they had to grind it out. But defensively, they were fantastic. Special teams were good, and they got the win, and they finished with nine wins, and that, that'll cap a good season here in Starkville. No doubt,
3: uh, one of is it true ten nine win seasons. For Mississippi State, their history, I saw that. It's nine or somewhere. ten, something like yeah. that, yeah. Something but,
4: like that. Five uh, in the last uh, 12 years. So. A really a
3: successful year without a question. And we should also point out, Illinois is pretty good. They are uh, very physical One of the top team. defenses in
4: the country. Yeah. One of the top defenses in the country all season long. Missing some guys due to opt-outs, but they still played really, really well. Their defensive line is very good. That they, they did a good job. Um, of trying to keep things in, in, you know, mixed up for Will Rogers, and they did a good job of confusing him. State's running game and and some big plays there here and there really made the difference.
3: And that's really what was a bit of a surprise to me is that it was I think uh, the the calling of running plays at what seemed to be the precisely right time when the defense really wasn't set for that. I thought it was brilliant, honestly, on Mississippi State's part. And, and you could argue
4: that that's what uh, contributed greatly to their win. Yeah, the, the, the touchdown drive and then the, uh, the the final drive for the field goal. The play calling was really good, and they did a good job of integrating the running game. That's been State's all, all year. When they've run the ball successfully, they've been successful. They ran the ball well against Arkansas, A and M, and Ole Miss. Yeah. Well, guess what? That's three of your SEC wins that this year. Yeah. Um. So yes, all, all season long, when State ran the ball, they were good. Yeah. While they didn't. They they struggled.
3: Yeah. Well, they sure, surely figured it out, and I think the timing of the calls were obviously right on the money because it seemed to catch uh, the Illinois defense on their heels and really didn't have an answer to it. And and most of that did occur late in the second half. In the, fir- the first mm-hmm. half, it, that didn't seem to be the case, and Mississippi State was, was struggling and appeared to be confusing Will Rogers a little bit, uh, Illinois' defense was.
4: I thought you can tell that there were some halftime adjustments made offensively because Rodgers was also much better in the second He really struggled in the first half through those two interceptions. One was a deflected pass, but the second pass where he threw the jump ball, was that's just a bad throw, and he knows it. Um, But then in the second half, I thought he was much more efficient and judicious with the ball, and it it helped that the running game came along with him. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, The tributes to the late
3: uh, coach Mike Leach were Touching, heartwarming, I- incredible. I-, I don't know that I could come up with more adjectives to describe it, but you had to like what you, s- you saw, and I think it showcased, in my view, the best of Mississippi as
4: well. Well, I mean, you go back to, to the uh, the memorial service they held here on, on the Mississippi State campus and so many coaches coming in and speaking. I thought that was a really well-done ceremony by Mississippi State. They, I mean, to put that together so quickly... Was, was really good, and for the coaches to show up, what some of them, all of them, almost all of them, in bowl prep, a guy like Sonny Dykes, I mean, he's preparing for the national championship, yeah. And then you know, all, and of course, all those guys are recruiting. You know, recruiting signing day was just a day away, for them all to come in really spoke of their respect for Mike Leach. And then I thought the conference did a nice job of organizing all of the teams and bowl games to to, to, to do tributes. And then you had guys like Dana Holgerson, Eli Drinkwitz, the coaches who just did their own tribute to, yeah. to Mike Leach. So you really saw the, the the wide reach that that man had in this sport that we all love so much. Yeah, no doubt about
3: it. I mean, it was a, a bit of a storybook finish, honestly. If you think about it, uh, going out in style, uh, winning the big bowl game, finishing with a, a nine-win season, doing it in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium uh, with the pirate ship uh, atop the stadium there. Uh, it all just really... Cool. Lots of uh, symbology, I guess, that I think was uh, showed that the coach was was certainly there in spirit, without question. And you saw the post-game interview I thought was excellent with Will Rogers. He was getting a little choked up, as you could expect. He had a very strong relationship uh, with the coach. So, just a, a fitting end to the season.
4: Yeah, and, and I think now... Everybody can take a breath. You know, yeah, it's yeah. been a, a tough process. You know, it, it's tough to grieve when you have some, some when you have work to do. Yeah, you know, it, it's one thing when you can take time off and and just let yourself heal. But these these coaches and these players have been preparing for this bowl game. Coaches have been dealing with, with recruiting and everything else. Now they can take that breath and and just you know really get get themselves you know right. And, and they've got a couple of months to not have to, to, you know, there's still recruiting going on, obviously, and, they, and there's still coaches to hire here in Starkville. But for the, but the pressure of that counting down to that bowl game is gone now, and you can just, you can just step back and, 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 and try to get yourself, you know, as whole as you can.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And the inclusion of the flag with the skull and crossbones logo uh, on the helmet, what a nice touch that was. And, of course, you saw that floated. Right after the death of the coach is is a possibility. I I was pretty glad to see that it was adopted and put to use.
4: I, I was wondering what they. would I knew they wouldn't do it. Nothing. will yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. So yeah. when when you saw that, I was like, that that's the right touch. I thought. You know, I, there were some people talking about state maybe coming out in like a black and white uniform, and I just thought. It's that's, that's, that's a little too much, you know. State is maroon and white, but that logo was the perfect tribute, I thought. And on top of it, you know, you had Mike's name on, on the field. You had the picture of Mike in the pirate ship, yeah, which is just fantastic. He would have loved that. And, and what the thing he would have loved the most, of course, is that his team got the win, no doubt. Now, from a
3: strictly from a statistical perspective, he comes up just a tad short, right, for entry into the Hall of Fame. Is that right? But that, there's that is this, correct. There's
4: discussion of uh of maybe waiving that in this case. You heard more about that? There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of movement behind the scenes to, to waive that requirement. You have to be at sixty percent winning percentage. Okay. All time. He's at fifty nine point six. Um I, I I think the easiest solution to this is to say, look, this was Mike Leach's team that won this game yesterday. Just give him that win and that puts him over the okay. over the top. Oh, something oh, like that. that. Makes sense. Or, or, I mean it just it just makes sense right that you know he was still however you want to put it, yeah, so that that's one way to do it but if you just want to create an exception that I don't think anybody's going to raise a stink about that, you oh, know Mike leach is one of the most influential coaches in college football history uh he deserves to be in the hall of fame and uh and I think I think they're going to make it happen
3: you know you may see it have some credibility to keep him out and and to just adhere to the standard. Had this happen uh when he were was older and long after his career I can maybe see that, but when it happened right. while he was while he was seated as the coach active as the coach right and then as you say i never never really thought about that. I think that's a great idea Brian to attribute this mm-hmm. win to him it was
4: his team mhm. Yeah, that's the easiest and most most painless way to do it. And however they want to do it, you know, if they just want to say, "Look, he's eligible, we're going to vote him in," no, like you said, in his later years, there might have been some. Wow, we're just doing this, you know, because you know of who he is. But today, nobody, anybody who's going to complain is going to be made to look like a fool. Yeah. So I, I, I agree. I think he deserves to be in on his resume. He was going to continue to win at Mississippi State. He was going to get over that that percentage anyway, so well, I, I think that would have been the case.
3: Well, let's consider this. They're not in the bowl game He had he not coached them through the season to achieve the wins right. necessary to get the bowl beat.
4: Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's just, it's you know, Gerard, I mean, you, you deal with politics all the time. Sometimes there's such an easy fix. That people won't do it because oh, yeah. it's just too oh, easy. Of course, too so, easy. So, got to so, complicate. Same thing here, right? This is just too easy. Yeah, we got to complicate things somehow. Totally agree.
3: Before you go, your thoughts about uh, the situation last night with DeMar Hamlin? Wow,
4: never seen anything like that. Um, and I, I, I'm glad the NFL made the right decision because at some point you just have to say, look, these are people. Yeah, you know, and and you have to you have to think about it in those terms. I wish it had come quicker. But that being said, you know, obviously that's a horrible, horrible situation, and I, I, I certainly wish him a speedy recovery. Hopefully, he'll come out of it and find out how generous people have been because you know he does a he does a toy drive charity that he had a goal of five thousand dollars for, and right now I think it's sitting around three million or something like that. Exactly, a lot of generosity. I hope he can wake up soon and see the generosity of the peop- that he was able to inspire.
3: Yeah, and uh, we've learned more about him. Um, he was just a good person on top of
4: being an NFL yeah. football player. Right? So yeah. I love it when they get you with this song on, my, on the way out, Gerard. It always <laughs> makes me laugh.
3: <laughs> Rhino's got you, man. <laughs> All right, Brian, good to see you. I'm sure we'll be talking some good more. Good to see you, on, buddy. I hope you have a Happy New Year, my friend. Take care. Happy New Year, Gerard. Happy New Year, Rhino. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now onto the real part. on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to Midday's Super Talk Mississippi. The
0: you
4: the you think are precious, I
3: can't so the family of uh, Damar Hamlin has issued a statement, and uh, they, they are, of course, expressing their sincere gratitude for the outpouring of support that followed this really gut-wrenching scene in Cincinnati last night that has left the star athlete in critical condition. Quote, On behalf of our family, we want to express our sincere gratitude for the love and support shown to DeMar during this challenging time. We are deeply moved by the prayers, kind words, and donations from fans around the country. So, wow. It's surreal, and I haven't seen any Additional updates since we've been on the air? You
2: I anything? do have one update regarding his Chasing M Foundation that was started back in 2020 as a toy drive for a community kids center there. And it is now over $4 million
3: raised in his honor. Wow. $4 million. Yeah, because before I, I came to the studio, it, as the speaker said, $3.5 Or not speaker, Brian Haydap, pardon me. $3.5 million. And Over 150,000
2: donations have come in.
3: Wow. That's incredible. People just want it. They want to do something. You feel helpless in this situation. There's just nothing you can do, and you feel like this is just a small token here. It it turns out I heard a report this morning uh, before I left the house where no, don't know what you heard about this, Rhino, that uh, apparently his father lived with his father. His father was a drug addict. He had a younger brother. And I think he served as kind of a mentor to his younger brother and was trying to protect him in what was uh, less than op- optimum circumstances. But it, from all accounts, seems like he was just a good person. In that respect, and started this this charity as well. So we we certainly, of course, absolutely hope for a complete and total, full recovery. We are, um, yeah. That was it was just surreal to watch that last night. That's. I think I saw a report that something similar to this happened, where a player collapsed and was given CPR on the field 51 years ago I can't recall all the details of that but uh, uh,
2: if it was that long ago I want to say that was a Detroit Lions player that collapsed and had to have CPR performed
3: think a wide receiver is what comes to mind yeah jB says it was about two hundred thousand dollars last night before this happened so two hundred thousand to 4 million in less than 24 hours. It's just incredible. Really incredible. Yeah, it was
2: during a game against the Chicago Bears at Tiger Stadium on October 24th, 1971. Detroit Lions wide receiver Chuck Hughes was heading back to the team's huddle after
3: a play with a minute remaining in the game where he collapsed. Okay. And did they ever reveal the cause of that? And did he survive? Do we know?
2: Uh, He did wind up dying. It was a family history of heart problems. One of his arteries was 75% clogged. Interesting.
3: I mean, in in the case of my brother, it was determined that he had an underdeveloped heart, had the heart of a 12-year-old. And he went from being incredibly active, was a black belt, and served in the United States Air Force in Strategic Air Command, during the vietnam era volunteered for service right out of high school mm-hmm. and then just ha- having been so physically active as part of his work he just he stopped physical activity to some extent and it was determined uh, at post death probably could have avoided with diet but and what was amazing that always bothered my parents was that having gone through all the medical tests to be part of SAC, Strategic Air Command, that none of that was ever discovered. Of course, we certainly don't have the kind of diagnostic tools. It didn't have them in the 70s that we do today. I mean, they're night day. and day. Uh, but that, that was always, always bothered my parents. You know, it's not that they were, were uh, miffed about it but it it was just it was just a point of curiosity, like how could this not go discovered? Yeah, he drove himself to the hospital. Never never came out less than an hour. Gary in the bunker says the biggest play of the game for those that had Illinois plus three and a half was the last play. Thrill of victory and the agony of losing a bet you were certain you had won. <laughs> That's right. And I've seen some people say that they think you should have taken a knee um, at that point and not run it all the way back for a touchdown as part of the – I have seen that, seriously. And I thought that was a little – Yeah,
2: that's not how the game works.
3: Yeah. And let's be honest, defensive players don't think about taking knees when, no. they, when the ball's turned over.
2: Well, they don't generally think about getting the ball and getting to run with it, so telling them, no, you don't
3: get to run with the ball when you got your hands on it. And score a touchdown. doesn't compute. Yeah. I I mean, it was imminent at that point. I I don't really see that as as, um, rubbing noses in it or however you want to describe it. It's not a...
2: I think most people would have taken umbrage if they'd have gone down there and gone for two or
3: something. Sure,
2: But they didn't even kick the extra point.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Game's over. Right, Little discussion by the officials, you, you recall, I think they were talking about the play, and then they came back and gave a report and said, okay, game's ended, that was it. That's the way it should be, in my view. So we should also report that longtime sports reporter Chuck Stinson died at age 60 yesterday. He was 33 when he joined the NBC affiliate, here in central Mississippi, WLBT. That was in 1995. He was the sports director at WABG in Greenwood. He covered major sports, virtually every major sports story during that 14-year period in Mississippi. He left WLBT in 2009 to join the Mississippi Organ Recovery Agency. He continued to. Uh, be on television, appear on television and talk about sports and on the radio, but also talked about the importance of organ and tissue donation. He also returned for a while to WLBT in 2013 to help with high school football. Coverage. Yeah, he would do the Game of the Week. Game of the Week, yeah. So we're saddened to see this and hear this news he is survived by his wife, Regina, and their three adult daughters. Our thoughts and prayers go out to him. He's been, if I'm not mistaken, fighting cancer for a couple of years.
2: His, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that's what got him to step away from the game of the week and focus on his health, and
3: he's been fighting it ever since. I believe that's true, and his uh, longtime radio co-host... Uh, Doug Colson, I see him in my church, goes to my church, he and and his daughter, from time to time. So we're certainly saddened to hear that. Of course, also over the weekend, Barbara Walters, 93, I believe, passed away. Certainly a a journalist who busted through that so-called glass ceiling, being the first female anchor, primetime, national news in the 70s, 76, I want to say, maybe sometime in that period, but I think she's still credited with an interview that received, had the most viewers, Monica Lewinsky. I think that still holds and stands. She was a, a fantastic interviewer. No doubt about it. Started The View, right? She was one of the yeah,
2: one of the creators main of
3: that. That thing's departed a bit from the way it was when
2: she was around. I think she was actually still there when uh, Norm MacDonald was cracking jokes about <laughs> the Clintons killing people, and yeah. she finally put the kibosh on that.
3: Yeah, gosh. Oh, man. Well, she lived a long, full, productive life. We're sorry that uh, she has passed away. Our thoughts and prayers are with, of course, her family. But we're stepping aside with Luke Bryan bumping us out of this segment. Coming back on Middays, much more to talk about. It's a brand new year in the Element Wealth Studios.
0: with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Two, three, four...
3: With you in the Element Well Studios, it's midday's super talk, Mississippi. Hank Gathers died on the basketball court, live on television, Loyola, Marymount. Is that from Robin Hattiesburg on the C Spire text line? Wonder when that happened.
2: I want to say that was late '80s or maybe
3: 1990. Okay. Clause of death? Did they know? Was that ever reported? Uh, Yeah, it was December 9th,
2: 1989. Gathers collapsed at a home game against UC Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. He was found to have an abnormal heartbeat, an exercise-induced ventricular tachycardia, and was prescribed a beta blocker. Hmm. However, he felt the medication adversely affected his play, and he was playing in a nationally televised game against LSU on February 3rd, 1990. Where, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that was the wrong one. Sunday, March 4th, Gathers collapsed against the Portland Pilots. Hmm. Interesting. And when he made it to the hospital, he was pronounced dead. Jeez.
3: In his 20s, probably, right? Playing uh, college. 23 years old. 23. Scott Pearl says, yes, yes, yes to the state legislature's proactive response to enhancing a culture of life, in all caps, and carefully considering all options to encourage citizens, businesses, and NGOs to support pro-life issues and promote a statewide culture where life is valued. And I think that's in reference to the tax credits, state tax credits, income tax credits, for available to businesses and individuals for contributions to prices, uh, crisis pregnancy centers. Three and a half million dollars of credits uh, available, earmarked for that purpose if you make a contribution and before all that money has been filed for and accounted for by the Department of Revenue until all three and a half million then you can get a credit. It's a pretty simple process. I've done it. You make the contributions, and you fill the simple form out, email it to the Department of Revenue, and they're very responsive. Uh, it's been my experience working with the DOR on these these credits that are available, and they send you the proper paperwork, and you get it approved and include that in the filing of your tax return when you take the credit. Pretty simple process. Yeah, it is It is good. I agree with you on that, Scott. Rodney and Summit, this non-state fan is a bulldog today. Oh, that was actually, <laughs> pardon me, back on December 13th. Chuck Hughes is what he sent today. Who's Chuck Hughes? What's that? That's What's the, the Detroit Lions player who Okay, collapsed. The wide receiver that you were sharing with us. Yes. Got you. Larry and My says... I heard the water supervisor for Jackson saying that Jackson metered 18 million gallons of water a day, but the pumps put out 45 million. I guess that's the capacity. That's a lot of wasted water running on the ground somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, if that's the case, Larry, you're certainly right. If it's pumping, if the system is producing forty five million and only 18 is being consumed slash metered. I agree. That's That sounds like a big old problem. Somebody ought to get on, and hopefully the uh, EPA administrator that's on the ground here, right? Take a look at that. Remember, they wanted those two seconds before the half, says Dave from Ripley.
2: Talking about <laughs> Illinois.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Only to run the ball.
3: Exactly. Paula Meridian says they need to rename the view to the... Hateful hens, <laughs> it is a, something to behold, they have a deep contempt and disdain for anyone on the right. No doubt about To the that. point
2: where they'll just get on there and say whatever comes to mind, and then the next day come out with a legal note. <laughs> I saw a supercut last week of, I think it was 37 different legal notes they had to make to keep from getting sued for saying incorrect things on the air. <laughs>
3: Oh, gosh. I'm on the side of the interstate fixing strap. I'm going now, says Bo in Indianola. What's he talking about there? Let us know there, Bo. Thomas and Greenwood, what you got going on here? Oh, gosh. I'm not reading that uh, press release. What is all that about? Medicaid expansion, opening Bali in the call. This is from the press release he sent us. Mississippi State Medical Association opinion. We'll see where that goes. I don't think anything's going to happen with respect to Medicaid expansion in the state of Mississippi. I do think, however, that we have many hospitals that are on the verge of complete financial collapse in this state, and it's going And I'm not convinced that even Medicaid expansion is the solution there. I just think it's more a, a, a function of Insufficient population, paying insured population to support some of these facilities in some of the rural areas of our state. And I I think it's going to continue to be a problem. And, in fact, it's a problem across the country, not just here in Mississippi, that uh, is going to continue to amp up. And I don't know what the solution necessarily is. It's not just Medicaid expansion exclusively. That won't do it, in my view. It could possibly play a part and provide some degree of revenue, but I don't think that it is the silver bullet solution. But there are a number. In fact, the hospital CFO report says there are 631 hospitals at risk of closure in the United States. More than 200 in the U.S. are at immediate risk of closing because of financial losses. And I think you guys would be surprised to find out that even some in this state that are not rural, that you probably believe are are doing well financially, actually are not it's just a it's a really difficult economic model it's a different difficult business from a financial perspective but looking at the rural hospitals at risk of closing rankings as produced by the hospital CFO report they show Mississippi at 38 in fourth place behind Hawaii Connecticut Alabama but Let's clarify, it's, it's a percent of the state total. So in Hawaii, nine are at risk of closing. That represents a 75% of the state total, and that's why they're listed at the top. In Connecticut, it's two. It's 67%. In Alabama, it's 29, 60%. So you can see the rankings are in terms of the percent of hospitals at risk of closure of the total. In the state, Mississippi, 38 at 54%, and it goes down from there. Uh, to me, what would be a more meaningful metric is the number at risk of closing uh, by the population in the state. I think that would be weighted based on the population in the state. So how many hospitals does that leave say, per citizen, as an example, would be a way to calculate that. So this really doesn't. It just looks at the percent of state total in terms of those that are um, at risk of closing.
2: Also keeping an eye out on the weather and potential severe weather this afternoon, Uh, it looks like there was a bit of something. It looks like wind damage, but it could have been a spin-up tornado in Etta, Mississippi between oxford and new albany i've seen some pictures of a tree in a house and uh roofs pulled off but thankfully nothing as far as tornado warnings at the moment but the uh entire southeast corner of the magnolia state basically if you draw a line from natchez all the way through nashville southeast of that is under a tornado watch until five o'clock this afternoon so uh be weather aware
3: Yeah, I mean, you kind of thought that might be the case with the temperature warming up in advance of a front moving through. And when those air masses collide, that's what you get, typically. Watching the uh, Speaker of the House situation at the U.S. House of Representatives, chaos. Doesn't appear that Kevin McCarthy has the requisite votes. And uh, they've been dealing with this since they convened this morning. We will see where that goes, but uh, certainly within the Republican Party in the House of Representatives, dissension and conflict.
2: Well, the usual loudmouths want to get their sound bites out there in the media sphere.
3: I actually agree with you. I think, as much as anything, there's some opportunistic... I know that's shocking, opportunistic politicians who simply want to get on the television to tell their story. You know that's exactly what the case is here. Oh, yeah. Coming right back with ZZ Top bumping us out. Stay with us.
0: You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. Rick Wakeman and yes, bumping us into this segment with Roundabout. That's like an hour song or something like that, isn't it? It goes on for a while. Uh, we're going to be down at the Trademark Thursday for the Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day. That's because the legislature is... Back in town, you played it earlier, the boys are back in town. We, of course, had the Speaker of the House on the program earlier discussing some of the issues they will be tackling, clearly to him, tax reform, elimination of the income tax, still a major deal. And boy, do we ever need it because there are some tax heights at the federal level which go into effect, just did. On the 1st, $6.5 billion natural gas tax. Oh, that won't increase your energy bills at home, will it? I still can't wrap my
2: head around why the left has demonized light natural gas. They do.
3: Fossil fuels, baby. They don't like it.
2: It was clean energy a decade ago. I know. I agree.
3: So So they
2: don't like atomic because they're idiots, they don't like light natural gas because it comes from the earth. Maybe this isn't about actually doing anything for quote-unquote
3: climate change. Maybe it's all just a blind power grab. Uh, duh. And this is one of those regressive taxes, meaning it really hurts folks with the low with lower incomes even more. Expected to increase, you're already, right, seeing an increase in your natural gas bills. Well, this is expected to pump it up even more—about fifteen percent. Fifteen percent this year. The Congressional Budget Office estimates the tax will increase taxes levied on Americans by passed on to consumers by six and a half billion. Now, what happened to that promise that Joe Biden made that? no american making less than $400,000 a year would receive a tax increase i know you find this shocking but he lied where where is he addressing this and then when the
2: democrats in the congress were given a chance to back up his lie
3: they balked no doubt no doubt all right there's a 12 billion dollar crude oil tax cents per barrel, tax on crude and imported petroleum. This, of course, is going to get passed on to consumers. And once again, guess who will have to pay that price? Well, everybody that consumes gas. That's pretty much everybody. Every American. And that includes those who make less than $400,000 a year. So, this is the Inflation Reduction Act? $1.2 billion coal tax. Well, you know, same deal. That will be, of course, passed on to consumers. This one doesn't get a lot of attention, and it's perhaps my least favorite. I don't have any favorites, by the way, of these tax hikes, but the one that I have the deepest Dislike for. $74 billion is the expected revenue the federal government will receive by imposing a 1% tax on corporations for buying back their stock, stock buybacks. Guess who that helps? People with 401Ks. This is more central planning by the government. No, we can't let you buy your stock back. We know better how to manage your equity portfolio and your balance sheet than you do, Mr. Corporation. Well, that just just hurts those who have 401K plans and and other investors. But looking at the average person that may not have a wealth account, most Americans, there's like 180 million workers in this country, have these retirement accounts, IRAs, pension plans, Roth, 401ks. Most are invested in equities. Most are invested in big cap equities that are involved with in stock buybacks. It's a strategy that's been around for decades. Remember, we talked about it, Rhino. Chuck Schumer, hates stock buybacks. He's greedy. Well, tell that to the people... Who like to see the green in their 401Ks or the increase in the value from one month to the next because corporations efficiently manage their stock float. That's what this is all about. Oh, we can't let you do that. You don't know what you're doing, you major corporations. We know. And when we come back, you know, some are calling for a passenger bill of rights to be drafted and issued and published and adopted By Pete Buttigieg. We're in the Element Well Studios. The news coming up. Coming right back.
0: And now another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Back in the Element Wealth Studios for hour three of midday Super Talk, Mississippi. We were reviewing the tax hikes which went into effect as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. How did tax hikes reduce inflation? I'm struggling with that concept. There's also a $225 billion corporate income tax. And you know that's going to be passed on to households. And honestly, it, the amount of money is is minuscule relative to our deficit, to our total spending, of course, to our thirty-one trillion of debt. And it's really not about that. It's not like, well, we're going to go tax those corporations so we can get more revenue in so we can do something good. That's not really what the purpose of it is. It's punitive. we got to punish them. They make money. Punish those corporations. Got to punish those fossil fuels companies. They're killing the planet. It's, it's not about raising money. It's not like, well, we have a shortfall relative to spending. If that were the case, we'd have a balanced budget. <laughs> we got a $1.2 trillion deficit in the making after this omnibus bill passed, before they hot-tailed it out of town for the holidays. If they even showed up. Half didn't in the House, right? More than half, I believe. Of the members, of the 435 total members in the House, if I'm not mistaken, 226 voted by proxy.
2: That's the same number I remember.
3: And it's uh, a rule that Kevin McCarthy has said he will address, an issue he will address, by imposing a rule that requires your butt to be there to vote and get rid of this. I got COVID. I was around somebody with it. Et cetera. By the way, Kamala Harris said before she swears in the Senate, you seen that? You gotta get tested within twenty-four or forty-eight hours to prove you don't have COVID. For you're allowed in the chamber for the swearing in ceremony.
2: That includes anybody that you want to be there for the
3: photo op. Like your family, Correct. right? It's unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. And so McCarthy says, I, I like it. He says, no, you got to be here. That will put an end to this. But what's even more insane is that we appropriate, does our government, our Congress, to fund the discretionary part of government, We push that to the end of the year. It's a fire drill every time like this. Got to get out of town. Here's 4,000 pages. Read it. Get ready to vote on it. Two days before the vote is held. That's how we operate.
2: When it was supposed to be done in late September.
3: Right. Because the fiscal year ends September 30th. So we operate with a continuing resolution essentially for three months. But can't do that for another two. Right. Doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. And it's, it's poor management. It's, if you just likened it to business, you'd say, that's poor management. I, I know that if you're a public company or one that has... Uh, debt obligations to institutional investors. You don't tell them, I'll show up with a budget three months into the next year. Your butt's fired if you do that. But no, that's not how we operate the government. What's even more disturbing here, you mark my words on this, you got this $600 million coming to the city of Jackson from the federal government. You got some other earmarks as well. I know there's money coming to expand the interstate, I believe, between, on I 10, between Alabama. We we talked about that uh, from the Mobile area right over through the eastern part of Mississippi, where I think it's two lane before it expands out to three lane somewhere paralleling the coast. And there's, there's money coming for that, and, and there's some other money. There's like a grant for a library or something, I believe, at Mississippi State was one of the things that was listed. Yeah, And, of course, there are people that are celebrating. They're grateful for this money coming into our state from the federal government. And they will heap the praise and laud those who pushed it, who made it happen, and by the same token, these are likely people who were unhappy about our fiscal irresponsibility, and that we run the government with trillion dollar deficits, and and have run up, racked up 31 trillion of debt. We can't do that! We're passing that on to our children. Gimme, 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 gimme. That's... So here's what happens. As long as we keep rewarding across the country people that bring home the bacon, guess what they're going to keep doing? Bringing home the bacon. That's why we have trillion-dollar deficits, because they're all in there. We've gotten to a point, have we not, that we send across the country to a great extent. We send our elected officials to Congress to bring home the bacon you got to get in there and fight for our money. And then the same people will say, what do you mean you ran up a trillion dollar deficit? Makes no sense. So you wonder if a candidate for office in this country has a chance unless they make that commitment, make that pledge. I'm going to get in there and fight for your money. Bring it home. And sadly, in the case of Mississippi, we send one-third in terms of taxes paid to the federal government of what we receive from the federal government. So all we're doing is printing money to make all these allocations and appropriations and fund all these various earmarks. We're just printing money, which is inflationary. Then we gripe about the inflation. And then Joe Biden does victory laps about the Inflation Reduction Act, which does nothing of the sort. Still waiting. The markets, by the way, in the red today, not doing well. Apple, down quite a bit. Reports from the... uh, from the big company, Apple, are that uh, sales of some of their aftermarket-type products demand decline, not as strong, the earbuds and that sort of stuff. And uh, this, obviously, the, most of their money's made on phones and computers. We've already seen a decline in demand of that to some extent. Now, this just got this news released this morning. So investors. Are I wonder shady. if part of
2: that is also the uh, charging block that is no longer included with phones. You must buy it separately.
3: I didn't know that. Oh yeah, the little square block. Just you just recently
2: these? upgraded on on C Spire. and yeah, the iPhone did not come with a charging block. Came with a charging cable, but not a charging block. So yeah. I wonder if that's hmm. in their other accessories bin that they're not seeing as high demand because well I've already got a block. Why am I buying a new one with a new phone?
3: I don't know. I hadn't heard that, but they're they received a downgrade, and the stock is uh, trading at what 125 bucks or so, which is uh, way off its highs, and it's down today four presently 4.4 percent down five dollars and seventy cents today. Uh, trading at 124 I've seen some analysts say the bottom is 120 If you're a long investor, I'd say you're at a point where you could start dollar cost averaging and loading up because I don't think it stays there for very long. And what you don't know is stuff that they've got being cooked up behind the scenes, and it comes out, and the demand is strong, and boom, off to the races again. I would just... Wouldn't count them out. By the way, McCarthy vote underway. We'll give you a report on that from the U.S. House of Representatives when we return.
0: I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett On Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs>
3: Gas prices inch upward. I'll soon be with you, my love. Three twenty eight this time last year average across the nation. Three twenty-two this week. Three ten last week. Some analysts saying expect four dollar gas here soon.
2: And I've seen it blamed on anything from Russia ramping up their efforts in Ukraine to the Severe weather that struck both the Northeast and the West Coast in the last week. Yep. Disrupting supply chain. Yeah, exactly.
3: Nine House Republicans, of course, penned a rather scathing letter against Kevin McCarthy's Speaker bid. He's struggling, voting underway presently. It is being reported that (laughs) there have been some rather contentious arguments, battles there with profanities flying around amongst the Republican conference, uh, expressed by those who oppose Kevin McCarthy as being the Speaker of the House. Representative Lauren Boebert muttered, this is bull under her breath. During a House GOP conference meeting, so a Boebert spokesperson said it was not yelled or said into a microphone. It was while Representative McCarthy was delivering a speech to unite his party. There are, I believe, nine members. They are referred to as never Kevins. You seen that? <laughs> Can we please, please
2: get some creativity in (laughs) politics? Never. (laughs) Not everything ends in gate, and not every opponent is a never. For the love of all that's holy, (laughs) the English language has so many amazing words.
3: (laughs) That that, that is true. There are... uh, a number, I think 14 total have expressed concerns with five. I think it's five are in the never Kevin category. Uh, just says it. he's failed to address some of the concerns they expressed in their letter, one of which he's conceded, which is if at least five members want a recall vote, essentially, a a no-confidence vote. Five members, if they wanted to do so, could. And apparently such a rule did not exist under Speaker Pelosi.
2: Well, no. She would not agree. She wouldn't agree to a
3: floor amendment, let alone a no-confidence vote. That's a good point. It's pretty much Nancy Pelosi House of Representatives when she was in charge.
2: Oh, but she was amazing. Just check out Rob Reiner
3: Meathead's Twitter feed. (laughs) I've seen it. Dear Lord. (laughs) You read it and just shake your head, don't you? He thinks Donald Trump ought to be immediately arrested. Because of his
2: tax (laughs) record. Right. What the heck is he reading, compared to what I've read? Because I don't see anything even close to indictment-worthy, let alone conviction-worthy.
3: Broke broke zero laws that I could tell. I couldn't see. And and, nobody, and in fact, it's been a disappointment to a great extent.
2: Oh yeah, you had all these people, all these journalists, all these leftist politicians screaming for years that we need to see them, release them, and then they get released and
3: nothing! Nothing. It was a nothing burger. I don't know what they were expecting, honestly. You know, some sort of smoking gun, bombshell, and it just wasn't. He he utilized legal deductions and credits to minimize his tax liability. Who doesn't? That question should be asked on the floor. Stand up. Sit down. Those of you who don't take advantage of, of every deduction allowable, legal, under IRS code, so as to minimize your tax liability, stand up. Nobody's going to stand up. Nobody. And what's crazy is, some of those same people are certainly their predecessors in the party. They supported those provisions of the code. Of course, it's so esoteric, nobody knows. That's the whole problem, like the 4,155-page omnibus bill. Robert and Brandon says the left does not consider a tax on the natural gas companies as a tax on individuals. They consider it as corporate greed when their tax increases cause a price increase to the end user. The left has no concept of basic economics. Yeah, and I think it's more about the virtue-signaling aspect of we are imposing a tax on those dirty fossil fuels. It's, it's as much that as it is punishing profit. But pay but no attention
2: you. to the fact that these same people were championing natural gas a decade ago as being clean and green.
3: What happened to that? The midterms are over, so gas will increase like it's already doing, says Tim and McGee. Yeah, there's some believe that the release from the strategic petroleum reserves did have a small increase, or small, I should say, impact on the price of gas, pushing it down. But I think the bigger issue is that we just have a reduction of economic activity and demand, particularly in China. But now that they've kind of lifted... And pivoted from their zero COVID policy, the expectation is that you'll see an increase in economic activity in China, and thus the demand for for oil and gas will increase, and that's likely to push the price of oil per barrel. I've seen this predicted by by industry analysts above a hundred dollars in the first half of the year, sitting now at around 79 to $80 a barrel. So you can do the math there, 25% increase. Translate that to the price at the pump, 25% increase. So Joe takes credit when it goes down, and you know when it goes up, he'll start the finger-pointing exercise again. That's what you can do. Hashtag Putin price hike. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is definitely what you can expect. I think that's pretty clear. Sack in Oxford says, I live long enough during a commercial, they're talking about the transgender that's about to be executed. You can't have it both ways. They said attorneys are arguing mental illness and childhood abuse, so now it's mental illness that she's transgendered. I thought this was celebrated as normal behavior. Now that she's going to get executed, she's claiming mental illness. You can't make it up. I agree with you there, Zach. There is a ridiculous double standard here. I mean, some of the things they want to normalize as as, uh, acceptable mainstream behavior now they're using that as an excuse, as a justification, as an argument to stay the execution of this transgender, which I believe would be the first transgender individual executed. I do agree. But there are so many shining examples of these double standards. It'd take us a couple of weeks to get through them all, it feels like. That is ridiculous. This over sexualization and certainly this thrusting of ridiculous radical gender ideology in our schools and in many cases in corporate environments in government is disturbing i'm still trying to figure out what the the catalyst was for teaching kids to read with drag queens like how do you connect drag queens to reading I still can't figure that out. And there are some in Florida. In fact, I tell you who it is in Florida. It's um, the rep we played yesterday that can't get an apartment. Is it the Gen Z rep, I think? says he can't get an apartment because my credit's no good. He's bashing Governor DeSantis of Florida's Law that he enacted that he pushed for that disallows discussion of crazy sex and sexual orientation and gender and so forth in classrooms in what K through third grade. And he says, Well, he's concerned about that, but he's not concerned about children in his district that are dying of gunshots, of gun violence. It's not even compare. It's not a valid comparison. Those are mutually exclusive issues and events. And by the way, it's your party that wants to defund the police. Coming back half an hour left on Middays. We're in the Element Well Studios.
0: Come on. Come on.
3: Middays
0: with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back to midday super talk Mississippi. Sure so uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy falls short you, of Speaker of the House win on the first ballot. Got to have 218 votes, and he did not receive that. I'm looking for the count here, Rhino. I don't. Uh, I don't see the tally. Surely that's published, isn't it? But he did not uh, 13, okay, at least 13 members of the GOP. There are 222, got to have 218, and he uh, 13 peeled off and voted for other candidates. So that would put him at 209. Nine short. Seven of those voted for Andy Biggs, Republican from Arizona. That includes Biggs, voted for himself, Dan Bishop of North Carolina, Andrew Clyde of Georgia, Eli Crane of Arizona, Matt Gates of Florida, Bob Good of Virginia, and Paul Gosar of Arizona. Lauren Boebert of Colorado, Mike Cloud of Texas, and Anna Paulina Luna of Florida voted for Representative Jim Jordan. Representative-elect Josh Breachin of Oklahoma supported Jim Banks of Indiana and Andy Harris of Maryland-backed New York Republican gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin. Wait. He's not in the House. I mean, you don't
2: have to be a member of the House to be the
3: Speaker of the House. Right, I know. So they they did it. I mean, I know that's the law. Just to be contrarian. It, I
2: mean, it, one vote. I, I posit that if McCarthy had given them everything they wanted in that letter, they'd still be throwing a hissy fit. They'd come up with number 10 to get pissed off about I, I agree with you on that. Because it's all a dog and pony show for them. It's look at me, look at me. It's the look at me wing of the Republican Party. I
3: I absolutely agree with you.
2: And it'd be different if they were all voting for one person. They would actually make it look like they have a plan. Mm -mm. No, they don't have a plan. They just want, look at me, look at me.
3: Yeah, I mean, voting for Lee Zeldin is not a plan. Let's be honest. You're exactly right. That's just calling attention to yourself. Uh, knowing that once this got, this information got released, when are the when are the television stations <laughs> going to call me? When are the networks going to put me on? Here I am. Unbelievable. Mike from Grand Bay, Alabama, says again, "Not good. One day one for one day one." Uh, Let's see. Scott and Pearl. Wise up, guys. Everything in the liberal agenda is geared towards one main goal, which Bill Gates told you in writing back in 2015, and even depopulation Pope Frankenstein and many U.S. backers across all political parties of the World Economic Forum are clearly on record and on board with global depopulation. Yeah, I'm not quite in that camp where that's just the, the sole objective and it's the universal objective is... Global depopulation, and the reason is because these are uh, these are power-hungry narcissists. They want as many people to control as they possibly can have. They hide behind it's a form of virtue signaling. Look, I'm for saving the planet, and that requires depopulation. Now, in the case of Bill Gates, yeah, he truly does believe that crap. I mean, he's he sees that. As uh, his mission, now that he's a gozillionaire, he's different. He doesn't derive power or even money from it. He gets notoriety, and, he, and it could be that's what floats his boat. I, I get that. But I think the rest of these people, they just want maximum power. And in fact. Yeah, if they actually genuinely cared about depopulation, they
2: wouldn't keep bringing out what's his face, Paul Ehrlich. To talk about oh we're not going to have enough supplies to feed humanity and he's been saying the same thing for sixty plus years and he's been wrong every second exactly right. time.
3: You're uh, yeah uh, it's you got to put it right up there with the folks that came to my high school in nineteen seventy three telling us that we were running out of oil. Set your thermostat on seventy eight in the summer and sixty two in the winter and that sort of stuff and go to school three days a week and no night games. I mean it's the litany. I remember that distinctly. And that was totally wrong. I mean, you've, it's the old fool me once, right, situation. And honestly, the world is depopulating. The trends of propagation are negative. And Elon Musk has warned about this. He said, we're going to run out of workers. We're not reproducing at a level necessary to sustain the planet. It's why Japan and China have completely reversed their policies with respect to number of children in a household. Hell, they're paying them now to have kids, as a matter of fact. Japan is, knowing that they're being overwhelmed with an aging population and they need the young people to take care of them.
2: Oh, yeah, they've got state-sponsored meet-and-greets in Japan for young people. Because there's not enough young people dating.
3: And I think we shared here on the program... A uh, a poll recently conducted. Less than forty percent of people in this country that are in the range of ages to bear children. I, I think actually it was it was uh, not just limited to the childbearing age range, but rather I want to say twenty eight to forty year olds is what I recall, but less than 50%, 44% is the number that sticks in my head. Of those surveyed said we don't intend to have children, and in 2018 it was 61% intended to. So now it's 44% intend to have children to propagate. That's that's a problem. So we're rapidly heading to a point in this country where there will be more people over the age of 65 than under the age of 18. And the economic and societal consequences of that are very deep and far-reaching and are a serious concern that we should all take note of for sure. Donald in Oxford said, gee, could you go over what laws went into effect in California? I missed that part yesterday when you spoke about it. Real quickly, three new holidays went into effect. The uh, Juneteenth... What's the, the lunar something or another day? What's lunar New Year, new, lunar New Year, because that apparently is that a deference to the Asian population in the state. Many Asian countries celebrate that. Then the other one that I just was completely shocked by because I've never heard of this before is the Armenian Genocide Remembrance Day. So that went into effect. Um, minimum wage went from fifteen bucks. We looked it up yesterday to fifteen fifty in the state of California. Insurance companies are no longer allowed to charge co-pays and deductibles for abortions. California has also announced that it is a transgender sanctuary state. If someone is coming to California for gender-affirming care and treatment and surgery and return to a state where that is outlawed, I'm not exactly sure how they're able to do this, but Somehow, they will not have been deemed to break the law when they go to California. I don't know how that works exactly, how they can just sort of override laws in other states. But that's one of the other crazy things that went into effect. Police officers also can't ticket
2: you for jaywalking in the state of California unless you're in imminent danger of being hit by a car. (laughs) Which is crazy. Whatever that means. How do they figure that out? Also, no more tickets for loitering. That's right. No more... Which uh, means prostitution's back on the table, because that was the main thing they got arrested for.
3: Cyber flashing? You heard of that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You can sue someone for sending you obscene material against your will. That's known as cyber flashing. You could uh, receive a penalty of between $1,500 and $30,000. Shuttered stores could soon become the property of the state and they could use it for affordable housing early release for critically ill inmates public meetings a new law sets rules for when local officials can remove people from public meetings for being too disruptive
2: yeah, they <laughs> got to give a verbal warning at least
3: the pink tax basically says that Companies can't charge more for deodorant and shampoo that's designed for women if it's substantially the same as products for men. The pink tax. No more pink tax. And protected rap lyrics can't use defendants' rap music in a lawsuit. Coming back on Midday's final segment.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: back in the element well studios it's midday super talk mississippi tony in southwest mississippi on the ceasefire text line let's not forget the acid rain threat in the 90s yeah that disappeared scott and pearl says kevin mccarthy has shown his true colors too many times besides being from california does not help him either what are his true colors what do, you, what do you, be specific. What do you mean by that? Uh, serious question, Scott. I'd like to know your thoughts. What what you've, any policy positions with which you're familiar that you disagree with as it pertains to Kevin McCarthy. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't some. I, I'm just, I'm curious. I mean, I, I've seen his plan. I've read his plan. I, for the most part, concur with his plan. I've seen Scalise's plan as well. Agree with his. Uh, and I think they both touch on the things that are most important to Americans, certainly conservative Americans. I'm not sure what's missing, what they want exactly. They're not conservative enough. What, what does that mean exactly? Spe- be specific on that. It's a serious question. Gary from Tishomingo says, Yeah, but just look at all the immigrants we're getting. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, Donald, hope, hopefully you got our my um, rundown there of what's going on in California with respect to these new laws. And I think some of these things, the abortion deal is so predictable, wasn't it, that they uh, went out of their way to enact legislation that prohibits insurance companies from charging people co-pays and deductibles for abortions. You're going to see this happen in the other states as well. The blue states that embrace this. Once again, another example of the just the gap between states. Rather see that than at the federal level. But it, it seems like it's across a myriad of issues that grows daily. The difference between policy, law, and left states, and, and red-run states. Just so many issues are in conflict, more so than I think we've ever seen. But that's where we are. Uh, oh, so what has Kevin done to deserve to be speak, speaker? Please be specific. Well, I think he's been an adequate and uh effective spokesperson for Republican, what I believe are Republican and Conservative ideals. He he uh his office released a a plan for America. I don't remember the formal name of it, but we reviewed it here on the program when it was released, what, three, four months ago? And if you dig into that, it's thirty, forty pages as I recall, maybe not quite that, that long. But I, I thought that was a sign of leadership and getting out in front. I think that was, frankly, what was missing in the primaries, uh, pardon me, the midterms, was you you really couldn't sink your teeth into, what do these guys stand for, talking about Republican candidates? And I think that that kept a lot of independents, those that could vote either way, vote based on a candidate, which is usually the district's that have the greatest chance of flipping. They're not perennially or consistently of a particular party, represented by a particular party. And I think they look at specific candidates, and they look at their vision and their ideals. And I think the Republican Party didn't do an effective job of articulating that. It was more about Joe Biden's bad. Democrats are bad. But, okay, what are you going to do? And so I thought McCarthy did pretty good in, uh, in his plan. I, I'm trying to remember what it was called, the plan for America, something to that effect. But, uh, there, by the way, second vote is underway uh, right now. And we'll see where that goes. What was that plan called, Rhino? I keep wanting to say the contract with America. Of course, that was Newt Gingrich's plan. Commitment to America. Commitment. Okay. Similar. Just replace the word there. So, Larry and Jackson, can you be specific on what you like about Kevin? Just did. Larry, hopefully you caught that. I I think he's, uh, again, an effective spokesperson. I see him more on the business channel. He's on quite a bit. My favorite show, Cudlow, 3 o'clock. He's on there quite a bit, and I've listened to him discuss economic policy. He's made it very clear that defunding the 87,000 new IRS agents is a top priority for him, getting control of the border. Also, crime, wokeness in the military, requiring people to be in the chamber to vote, no proxy voting. I can go through more of that tomorrow. Uh, there, there's more to discuss along those lines, but those are a few examples there, Larry. Hopefully that answered your question and we're out of time here today. We will be back in the Element Well Studios again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone uh, 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 uh,
0: uh. A Super Talk Mississippi uh, media production.